SequelCast 2 and Friends is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, go to greenlitpodcast.com. Hello and welcome to SequelCast 2, a show where we talk about movies and video games and franchises. This time around, we're looking uh, at the Simpsons trilogy for the Nintendo Entertainment System, with a special guest, the designer Dan Kitchen, who's been working in the games industry for decades, uh, from uh, way back in the Atari uh, all the way to the present day. Uh, Dan, welcome to Sequel Cast 2. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Not a problem. With me, I have my co-host, uh, Thrasher. Eat all of our shirts. <laughs> and uh, Alex. Hey, hey, hey. So... Looking at your um, website here, I love that you have a really detailed kind of gameography separated by systems. And um, a question that came to mind initially, we'll get to the Simpsons games in a second. You did a lot of work on the Atari 2600. Then there was sort of like the video game crash. How did you sort of um, transition to to different consoles after the uh, Atari 2600 and that kind of had an overproduction of uh, cartridges and so forth, and there was a bit of a bust there for a little bit. Yeah, it, it was. When uh, uh, when this crash happened, Activision pulled us off the Atari and uh, really moved us over to things like the Apple II, the Commodore 64. Um, we focused on, on those systems and then eventually uh, started working on the NES. And would you say with the NES, it was a huge... I mean, there's a leap in terms of color, I think, and, and sound and complexity. But do you um, sometimes miss sort of the limitations of the of the older systems as far as how much space you could fit in a cartridge and what you could do? You know, absolutely I do. And, and in fact, uh, just a quick aside, um, I've partnered with my brother and Dave Crane to actually uh, publish brand new Atari 2600 games. Um, we've just released our first one a few months ago. And so I am back writing games for the Atari because I missed the challenge of having uh, of, of fighting the machine and having very little RAM and very little room to uh, to make a game. Wow, that's really cool, um, Thrasher. Why don't you begin? Uh, well, I just uh, want to start. I'm really happy that you're here because. Bart versus the Space Mutants, among other things, I'm a professional illustrator, and Bart versus the Space Mutants has a lot to do with how I learned to draw. Oh, wow. That's cool. So, like, with, without, without, without trying to master drawing all the variant Space Mutant designs, I would not be able to draw my weird monsters today. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, in terms of the game itself... Um, I didn't realize it at the time. I only realized this when going back to it, but that, that the, particularly the first level of Bart versus the Space Mutants is, is an homage to They Live, with Bart being able to use the X-ray glasses to see who's an alien and who's human. Uh, the Simpsons has always had its pop culture references. This, this was like made, I think, like, well, like during or right after the first season. Was there a mandate to kind of try to copy the humor and the referential nature of the show? Or was that just kind of a, just a, a wild hair? idea that you all followed in the development of the game well uh, the game uh, uh, when we did the game um, we had a producer uh, Barry Marks uh, 
so Barry and my brother Gary were the liaison with Matt Groening and his team. And they had met with Matt a few times. And I don't think there was anything, any specific guidance on, on, on bringing in any pop, pop culture. But Gary took the lead and designed the first level. And, and we had chatted around the design table about certain things. And they live, I think, was one of, uh, one of the films we were binging on at the time. And, uh, and Gary had an idea. He said, why don't, why don't I put it on X-ray specs on BART? And he can see the uh, he can see space mutants, and we thought, yeah, that's that's classic. So uh, so he kind of took that and designed the first level, put in all the cool scenarios, all the cool little little tricks you do in there to find everything. Uh, but certainly, I think it was driven by our love of They Live, and uh, and our love of just just binging on on some cult movies. Do you feel like you might have like uh, lucked out that they didn't use that story for a uh, Shriasa horror episode? You know, it, we were hoping they would have. I think it would have been a very cool one, uh, you know, with video games uh, kind of uh, spawning an episode. But yeah, it never happened. But who knows? It may still happen yet. That's that's very true. Yeah, they're still chugging along. Yeah, I'm glad to see that. It's it's a phenomenal show. We had a great time working on all of the games and interacting with everyone uh, over uh, with Matt's team. And, and uh, it certainly was a great time in our lives. Oh, and what, one thing I appreciate about the, all of them, but especially in, in Bart versus the Space Mutants, and I mean, that first level is such a good example. I think so is the, uh, the second one kind of at the fair is you have these a mixture of sort of action and puzzles in there. In a way, it's a little like those adventure games where you're going around collecting items and opening doors and giving, uh, you know, even that first level, trying to get all the spray paint, all this stuff uh, purple, and you got to do the prank phone calls. I mean, it's it's a lot in there for a single level compared to what you saw in other games at the time. Agreed. We definitely wanted to work into it uh, the ability to have some adventure-style tasks uh, instead of just Mario-esque where you're jumping and accelerating and moving through the level. Um, Gary definitely wanted to focus on doing subtasks, and I think that's where a lot of the things came in, such as calling Moe's uh, and the, the various things we have hidden in the bowling alley sign and that sort of thing. We wanted to put in a lot of Easter eggs and a lot of things that you had to do separate from just going and, and getting all of the aliens. Yeah, it was always funny whenever, because it was, you know, we kind of came of age at the, around the same time, so it was so exciting seeing, like, hearing the music and seeing the font on your TV, like, through your Nintendo, you know, because you have the relationship with the series, and then, you you know, you have a relationship with the video games, and then when they kind of collide, it's like, ooh, and you kind of pick little references to the show, like the, like, cherry bombs or spray paint, stuff like that, or like Bart Skateboard, you know, it's like, oh, that's like the one from the show. Yeah, we, we we looked at a lot of a lot of the shows and wanted to draw a reference uh, from the actual shows of things that were familiar to the audience. Because sometimes the merchandise back then, you'd see like Bart with like a like a blue shirt or something, or like a green skateboard, and you're like, that's not the real deal. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Now, fortunately, we were, you know, we 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 were working closely with Matt's team, and so they gave us a lot of reference uh, and and oversaw a lot of the artwork design. And really helped steer us in the direction of, of making it look Simpson-esque, and certainly using a lot of the props that were that were from the original show. And you had a lot of mileage because the the first season, as groundbreaking as it could be, did not 
give you did not give you much to work with. No, that is correct. It 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 did not. And so a lot of the stuff that we've we put in here, some of the stuff that later on in the game we had to brainstorm and come up with, and then get get clearance to make sure it was acceptable uh, to the team in LA. So I, one thing I think iconic about the Space Mutants game is that that cover art just captures the feel of, the, of both the game and the show so well. Is that something that was pretty late in the process, or do you remember any kind of reaction when you first saw that drawing for the cover art? That was something late in the process that Matt's team gave us, and when we saw it, we just knew that it captured everything. Just as you said, it really captured the essence of the show, uh, the video game. It was we we were just amazed by it. We were very we were delighted to have that as the cover for the game. Yeah, it's one of the rare cases where you know the whether it's um you know eight or sixteen bit or whatever where the cover art is actually um, corollary with the actual game. You know, I can't remember, I can't tell you how many times when I was a kid, I'd pick up like an Atari game and be like, whoa, <laughs> wowed by right. the cover art, like Vanguard or something. And then, of course, you know, it's a triangle. Um, of course, that's right. That's, this is like, all the stuff on the cover is on is in the actual gameplay. That's pretty, uh, pretty wild. Yeah, I think I think Gary had given them some uh, some indication of what's in the game. So they took that along with their their creative team and their style and and uh, yeah made a cover I, I believe it was the first cover I, I don't recall it going through different iterations I think they nailed it pretty much on the first shot excellent it's amazing yeah and uh, moving on to the the second game in the series the Simpsons Bart versus the world when I was replaying it a bit this morning uh, on, on the computer it, it really struck me that uh, you not only you open the scope, you go to different places like China and Egypt, but also like, let's say if a player is stuck in a particular level, you have kind of this, you have the select screen where maybe they can do a puzzle or they can do a trivia. Uh, if they get stuck, you know, there's different things for them to do. So uh, it, it kind of breaks up the challenge a bit. Yeah, again, we wanted to put in some other things besides just the Twitch gameplay. So uh, we wanted to put in some, what we would now call casual games uh, to, to, to break up the, the mix. And then we we worked with Matt's team to decide uh, where we were going in the game. Are you going to China? Are you going to a studio back lot? Um, and so that it kind of all we was weaved into the story. And of course, putting in Smithers and Burns just made it just made it all come together. I love those variations on the Smithers and Burns designs, particularly <laughs> like the Burns Yeti is just it's so yeah. per so perfectly <laughs> monstrous, but also still a feeble 103 year old man. <laughs> this is yeah. the Fumi Chu Burns, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. As I as I remember, it was it was it was a it was a nephew of Mr. Burns somehow. I think it was a second. It was his second cousin's nephew's son, is, is, <laughs> is, is, is who, who the abominable Snowburns was. That's right. The, oh, uh, maybe, maybe you know what? Maybe you can settle this for me because uh, my, my neighbor, uh, Joey, at the time, we played this, I think, uh, on the Genesis, and we got into a disagreement about one of the game's graphics uh, because, and it's very noticeable in the Great Wall of China section where when Bart's on his skateboard, when he like hits certain ob obstacles or you try to slow down too quickly, he does this wobble on a skateboard 
and we got into a really heated argument. My stance was this was Bart Simpson losing his balance on his skateboard, and that's why he was wobbling. But my neighbor insisted, no, that's Bart doing a 360. Um, I believe it was Bart doing a 360. Oh, wow. But but I'm, I'm going back as you say this right now, and I brought up on YouTube a playthrough of it, and I'm gonna see if I can find where that is. I'm trying to remember because one of the one of one of the programmers I worked with did the Great Wall sequence. Um, you know, I don't actually see any sort of 360 as I watch this. Um, so maybe it was a wobble. I think for now the the jury's out. <laughs> yeah. <Ooh. laughs> We will we will continue. This is just the beginning of a seven part investigative series. <laughs> when Mark's good. doing a three sixty. Yes, sure. <laughs> I caramba, man. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, a big thing with Bart versus the world uh, for me, at least. And I mean, I was oh my Jesus, like fourth grade or something, pretty little when this came out. But The Simpsons, you know, I just moved back to the the states from living overseas and all these things. And I had that Simpsons singing the blues album. You had the Bartman music video and in Bart versus yes. the world, you have the power up where you turn in to Bartman. Was that, uh, I really like how the flying feels in that game. And I think that must've, was that sort of tricky to figure out like the physics with that? Because otherwise you normally had them running and jumping and, and the skateboard sections felt distinct. And when you're flying around, that certainly feels different. It was, you know, we had gone to the creative team and said we wanted to work Bartman into it. We wanted to give the player another set of controls. But of course, it's tricky because when you're doing that, you can't allow them to just fly over everything or to, you know, circumvent what you've laid out carefully. And you've got to carefully place where the, uh, you know, where the cowl is that that turns him into Bartman. And then we did want to create the controls so that he couldn't just zip through everything. So yes, it took a while to tweak those and find out where you could put them and then time out how long he was actually Bartman. Um, yeah, I think it worked well in, I believe in things like the pirate ship on the backs on the soundstage. Mm-hmm. Um, you could use it to fly up and get get some certain things. So it, it uh, yeah, it was it was something we definitely wanted to add just to just to 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 break the monotony of run, jump, climb. Um, and so it uh, I think it worked out well. And of course, in the later game, in the next game, we actually made him Bartman, um, which is Bartman versus, or meets Radioactive Man. So we, we, we took that and made that, uh, made that more of the actual gameplay in that next game. That was another one that helped teach me how to draw. I remember uh, picking out, again, from Nintendo Power, like the uh, Dr. Crab and the the Magma Monster guy and just yep. really trying to master the way they appeared uh, on paper and in the game. Yeah, and, and you know, we, we when we were doing the flying sequence, you know, he's Bartman and he's a kid, so we didn't want him to fly like, like Superman where he was really used to it or he was really a professional flyer. I mean, so he kind of bobs around and it's kind of a little hard kind of did kind of different to control because he's just he's kind of get used to it he's trying to get used to his cape and and trying to get used to controlling himself when he's flying so uh, that that also i think was some of uh some of the controlled uh thoughts that made made it into it yeah Yeah, these are fun because like um whereas most games you know i would always click through like the interludes you know because it's like i'm a kid i don't have patience but with these it was it was fun because it was like seeing like an like an unaired episode of the simpsons or something you know what Mm -hmm. i mean 
I was actually like, more inter- invested in the storylines behind it because I bet like you know again the sense of humor and the beloved characters you know um, most of the time it was just like yeah I don't care about the backstory let's get to the game itself but these are actually fun to watch the uh, inner titles and stuff like that. Well, even then, it's it's really fun to watch those interstitials because like I, I I always love that bit where Bart there's that graphic of Bart reading the comic book like one more page to go and still no sign right. of radioactive man. <laughs> exactly. and on the back of the comic is an ad for a claim, and it's just like the acclaim ads that were running at the time. Funny, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it was fun to it was fun to work in different things uh, into the game art wise. Um, and, uh, and it was fun, you know, it was fun to, besides the, uh, the, besides Springfield, it was fun to find some other places to put them that were more, more fantasy based. So that's why we chose like the Hollywood backlot because, Hey, you could do all sorts of cool stuff and it's not the real world. So I can put them in a haunted, haunted house scene, or I can put them on a pirate ship or I can put them, uh, you know, on an animator's table, that sort of thing. Right. And it's nice with um, the interstitial scenes in the Bart versus the world and radioactive man. And there's less of them in space mutants, but you had some with the aliens talking uh, in between the levels. Yes. I like that, that, that they're short because I was playing, I mean, this isn't even, this isn't even a new game by today's standards, but Oh, it was like for PlayStation two, it was some Japanese RPG, like Xeno saga uh, episode one, Der will do or something, but it opens with a cutscene that's over an hour long and halfway through the cutscene, it says, do you want to save your game? And you haven't even started playing yet. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, that's, I always come back to this kind of the worst example. And I think games have kind of course corrected them, but it's nice having just a little bit of plot to keep you going. And although the graphics were limited on Nintendo, you could still do the colors of yellow for the skin and have it look familiar enough that you could recognize what you're looking at. Yeah, it was sort of akin to the what the 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 cards, the title cards that came up in silent films. So mm. it just gave you just gave you a quick snip of the story as you watch the action on the screen. Well, did you find actually that 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 was uh, that was a, a real like benefit to to working with the Simpsons because like it with with an eight bit system, even with a sixteen bit system, it is a pain trying to create anything that looks like a realistic human skin tone. But I would assume the the skin tone of the Simpsons that that neon yellow would carry over pretty well. Oh, it did, of course. Working with anything animated, um, you know, the colors kind of lend itself to it. You're certainly not going to be doing anything near photorealistic. Um, I think the, the the closest thing we came to anything photorealistic in any of our games was the was the cityscape uh, in the background of a boy and his blob on the very first level, where we simply literally used digitized images of New York City at night. Uh, but the colors, the fact that it's animated, clearly you know lent itself easier to do the graphics. And to make them look so reminiscent of the actual show, even in 8-bit, they came out very, very good. A quick diversion. I love, 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 love A Boy in His Blob. That was one of my favorite games growing up. <laughs> oh, thank you. That was that was Dave Crane and, and uh, Gary Kitchen jumped in on that one and, and helped get that one done. That, that was just a masterpiece. Dave is, uh, our, Dave is, is known for masterpieces. Right. So with... Um... The last one here, Simpsons Bartman versus radio, or not versus meets Radioactive Man. It is one of those things where you, I like with the game, you had to invent a lot for it with the the bad guys and so forth, because you had Radioactive Man mentioned in the show, but it was only, oh, it's a comic book 
Bart is trying to get the issue one of with the friend or or something like you sort of see it in the periphery. And now you have a whole game with uh, with Bartman and Radioactive Man. And you get to, as you mentioned, sort of invent like the fantasy worlds. Was that did that seem a bit more freeing as far as the setting goes? It, it did. But we definitely had to collaborate with Matt's team and the people at Acclaim um, to make sure that, you know, everything fit within the right universe. But yeah, it was more more creative that you could go in and and help bring so to speak flesh and blood to some of these you know some of these characters that bart would have read in in the radioactive man comics um so in that way it was yeah, it was uh it was kind of freeing to do that and uh obviously he's bartman you know throughout the whole thing so we had to tweak a lot of his a lot of his controls um and we uh you know we had to find different things for him to do since he was he was outside of the Springfield universe. Also, the aliens kind of look like the um, Omicronians from Futurama, the Omicron Percy I-8s. Oh, they <laughs> do. You're absolutely right. Yes. yes, yes. Of course, at the time, Futurama wasn't that, wasn't around, but uh, I'm a big Futurama fan. And yes, they do look like that. Absolutely. And, you know, we took some of the things I, I recall. There was a there was an underwater area. And I think we still have the the three eyed fish in a few places. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. So we, you know, we 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 tried to take some of the things we could, and bring them over. But uh, yeah, I think I think we we recreated the comic book worlds pretty well. Oh, but actually, this this was a question. So like, uh, so Magmo from uh, Bartman meets Radioactive Man was was that just like a character you all were handed in a character packet from the Simpsons production team or did you all uh come up with that character yourselves because he went on to make several appearances in the Radioactive Man comics that Bongo published yes no that was handed to us by by uh by by the team in in LA with Matt oh wow yeah yeah that uh and that and and we were happy to to incorporate him and and he's gone as you mentioned went on and and made some other occurrences in in the comic books so on, on any of these games it, can you remember having to like cut content for space you know we did have some other i mean in in bard versus the world we had other mini games um we did have uh other countries we were going to go to um and we literally for space and time um we had to cut it down you know, these these were different than doing, say, a standard platformer. You know, in a standard platformer like Mario, you the levels aren't really specific to a region. And so, you know, you may have levels that you took out, but but they would kind of be reminiscent of the last ones. With these, we had to have some creative meetings where we first had to define where we wanted him to go, get those approved by Matt's team, um, and really make sure that... Uh, in other words, there wasn't later on a lot of content we left out. It was really pre-designed ahead of time, and so we knew what mm -hmm. we were doing. Um, whereas in some cases, I know some teams would go off and, you know, oh, we didn't get time to put in the volcano level, so we threw it out. We, we really didn't have that sort of thing here. It was uh, the design that we had come up with and that was approved uh, by, the, by Matt's team was really the one we went with. So there was stuff put on the cutting room floor early on. Um, but nothing specific that didn't make it in the game that we had anticipated putting in the game. Right. And like, you know, when you're designing things, it's so much easier to um, make changes on a piece of paper or on a scrapbook 
then actually you make your assets spend all the time doing the level and and optimizing it for speed and so forth and having to take it out that's yeah i'm I'm a big fan of doing things up front as possible i uh i do qa for business apps in my day job so not not like games but similar yeah, yeah, process I'll, you got to keep on releasing stuff you know yeah it's a, it is a similar process and uh yeah it does help i mean especially in today's products but but it uh, it helped us back then we did a lot of pre-production um and we had to in this case because we had to make uh, everything we had to get everything approved by the team in la so Oh, well, actually, here's a here's a question. Is there, you know, you know, t- time, technology, budget permitting? Is there is there a Simpsons game you would have liked to have done but never got a chance to? Interesting. I think I would have liked to have done a game specifically for Treehouse of Horrors. Oh, mm. that would be great. Yeah, and and that uh, that I think would have been fun to take uh, perhaps some of the ones that they've had in the in the series uh, and just bring the best ones into a video game. That's something I believe we mentioned to Acclaim at the time, um, but uh, it wasn't a direction they wanted to go into. Interesting. That's that's their loss. That is a brilliant yeah, right? idea. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, uh, Dan, thanks so much for coming on here and speaking about these old uh, Simpsons games. Your website is dankitchengames.com. And where can people go if they want to find information about your new Atari games? When I teamed up with Gary Kitchen and Dave Crane, you can now go to audacitygames.com and you will see uh, some content on Gary and Dave's first comeback game, which is Circus Convoy. And Gold Rush, which is now going to be known as Casey's Gold, uh, will be coming later this year, and you can see some information about that as well on on audacitygames.com. <laughs> and we're back, folks, with another episode of Nasty Labs. Nasty Labs. It's a show hosted by me, Kinsey Burke, and my dumbass friend, Mark. Nasty Labs. This twice-monthly show about game development, Japan life, being nice to people, and hey, maybe a few other things. Nasty Labs is a product of Chuhai Labs Brand Incorporated and now available for three easy payments of four twenty sixty nine, Only on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hi, we're Ellen, Steven, and Mark, hosts of Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. Topics include programming, design, tools, and more. We also do interviews and one of our game jams. Listen to Nice Games Club wherever you get to your... Wherever you get to your podcast, you get there. <laughs> or at nicegames.club. Cool, man. Hello and welcome to uh, Video Game Sequel Cast, a show looking at video games. This time around, we are talking about some Simpsons uh, video games, uh, whether in the arcade or at home, that we have enjoyed you just heard an interview we had with dan kitchen about his experience working on the three nintendo simpsons games so i won't be really going into those too much uh bart versus the space mutant spark versus the world and bartman meets radioactive man however we will touch on a few of the other ones that we've played throughout the years so uh, i'm your host matt bradley shergy with me is thrasher go and alex Virtual Bart. Right. Um, now, Thrasher, before we started recording, you were mentioning, uh, I think it looks like the first Simpsons video game, technically, uh, barely by a month, but the Simpsons arcade game from uh, 1991 from Konami. 
Yes, and and so I wanted to talk about that not just because it's the first, but last weekend, as of this recording, I got a chance to play the original game in the original arcade cabinet. Mm. Uh, yeah, I was at uh, Pixels, Pints, and Bites, which is this barcade in my hometown of Norfolk, Virginia, and they had it there. It was in full working order, so I, I played a few rounds of it. That sounds uh, magical. Yeah, yeah, and it's, was it the four-player machine? Uh, yes, it was the four-player machine, uh, and which which is again that that's such that's so great. It's a family with like four like four members who can be really active and a baby. Back when the show was really big on having the baby act like a baby and <laughs> not like a, a magical creature, uh, and so I, in fact that's even the plot. Maggie gets kidnapped, so you're trying to rescue her. So you can play as Bart, Lisa, Marge, or Homer. And what's great is that uh, there's a lot of good things about this game, but among among them, everybody has these like power-up moves, but there are combos that that you can do by getting different combinations of the family to team up. Right. Which is great. Like That's like if you get cool. if you can team up Homer and Marge, they do like a mambo that ends with Homer spinning Marge around and he can just knock all the bad guys over by like moving around the stage. Bart and Lisa can do a thing where they run around with a jump rope between them and like knock people over. It's it's great that they have these like they these combinations. They do a good job capturing the look of the series. But also like at this point, at the point where the that game came out, there had only really been like two seasons of the show. So they have very little. And I think it was developed when they just had one season of the show to work with. So there's so little ancillary material. They get all sorts of mileage out of the show's small character packet. And yeah, like the actors of the show, oh, like they, like early Simpson stuff, they get like a lot wrong. Like you get like Bart with like a blue shirt, you know, and like, Okay, I have a theory about that. Yeah. Because you will see Bart with a blue shirt on a lot of official merchandise. The the original run of Bongo Comics had Bart in a blue shirt. A lot of the original Bart figures had Bart in a blue shirt. I have a theory as to why that specific blue shirt is so consistent across official merchandise. I think that's how they spotted bootlegs. If you saw Uh, Simpsons merchandise where where Bart had a red shirt... You knew that wasn't produced by Fox. That makes sense, actually, because that was um, pretty common, uh, especially with something as huge and heavily merchandised as The Simpsons. Um, I mean, the yeah, not, not just the uh, the T-shirts, but also you had the bootleg um, bumper sticker of Bart peeing on something. Or no, oh, there was Calvin and Hobbes. Calvin, Never mind. Yeah. Well, I think they did a Bart one eventually. There's probably a Bart one, too, where you get... Um, Bart as a, a person of color with like the Jamaican flags smoking oh, a joint or something. I mean, there was all sorts of different bootleg things out there before the official merch uh, came out. But, but the um, um, the arcade game you're talking about is called the Simpsons arcade game, right? It's just called the Simpsons. Yeah, yeah just yes. the Simpsons. Yeah. It later, you know, at the time it got a port to the PC and the Commodore 64, but it didn't look that much like the arcade. And later it was ported to Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3, but for a very brief period of time um, because of rights issues um, for whatever reason. The other thing that sort of stands out because Springfield wasn't all that populated and like it hadn't become the VCR show it would become where there would be background gags you'd want to pause to look at. Like you'll go through environments and they'll have 
sometimes they'll have something really cool. Like, like in the very first level in the background, Martin Prince and principal Skinner are just interacting on a street corner. But as violence happens, they both panic and run away, but in a very in character way. But at the same time, this is happening on a city street where the businesses are literally called store laundry. Uh, right. Yeah, and like some... at, at, as opposed to like having a pun name like King Toots Music Store or yeah, Boris's right. Car Loft Auto Shop. <laughs> exactly. And uh it's like they're in repo man or something. Yeah. So let's get into it. We don't have to go into what specific order uh chronological orders kind of pick a few that we want to talk about taking turns for a game for each one. Um I guess I'll begin. This one I remember I played in a single sitting and beat it at my friend's house. It was Bart Simpson for the Game Boy, Bart Simpson's Escape from Camp Deadly. Ah. It um, was more of a side-scrolling game with a lot of jumping puzzles, I recall, and there was a lot of bees as bad guys, and of course, the evil counselor at Camp Deadly looked a lot like Montgomery Burns, but kind of a younger, maybe it was like a cousin or something, but had longer hair. It was sort of strange looking. Which is weird, because hadn't they done Camp Krusty with Mr. Black? <laughs> yes, they had, and I think Krusty would have made more sense. But this came out in '91. I mean, the same year that Bart versus the Space Mutants came out, so they were probably working off very had very little to work with, I would think. Oh, I stand, I stand corrected. Camp Krusty wouldn't come out until the following year, so Mister Black didn't exist yet. Well, there you go, um, Thrasher. Uh, so I want. I'm just going to mention this one briefly, but there is for the Game Boy, uh, Bart versus the Juggernauts, where it's like Bart in kind of like an American Gladiators yes. type show. The reason I want to point this out is that the the design for the Juggernauts are very very strong. They look kind of like the Mad Max Warriors, but done up in the Simpsons style. And this shows you how strong the Simpsons design sense is because it was three, three or four years later, they would do Bart versus Australia, which actually would have the Mad Max road warrior people in it. They look almost identical to the juggernauts in this game. (laughs) Mm. I wonder if there was like, we were talking about Dan, about the um, design of the bad guys in uh, the Bart meets uh, Bart man meets radioactive man. And he said they were designed by people that worked on the show itself. I bet you it was the same kind of thing with the Juggernauts. As far as nailing that style. Oh, yeah. Um, Alex. Uh, there was uh, one that I played a lot. I had for Sega Genesis, which was uh, Virtual Bart. Um, and I feel like this is one of the reasons why the early Simpsons games have a reputation for being really hard. Because this was not mm-hmm. an easy game to play. Um, once you got the hang of it, because you could play like four different virtual worlds, there's like prehistoric bar and then like tree climbing bar. It was, it was a really strange concept, but you know, I had it, so I played it a lot and it was, it was fun. It was, it was weird. And there wasn't like a lot of like Simpsons, like lore in there, if I recall, I think it was just kind of like an oddball, like science fiction game that was just Simpsified. Um, that's the level was, where like, there's a level in that where he's a pig, right? I think so, yeah. Well, that's that's the fascinating thing about about Virtual Bart is that each like you know quote unquote level is a completely different genre of game, right. and mm-hmm. and Virtual Bart was also a sequel to Bart's Nightmare, which was the same thing. Bart falls asleep studying for a test and has dreams where he's in different kind of games, and 
there are two there are two standouts one being the one where bart like he dreams about his biology test and like he's in his own bloodstream like blowing up germs and that's right. a fun goofy level but the other one is there's bartzilla which the bartzilla designs will sort of show up in other places for for years to come where bart is literally a giant radioactive dinosaur blowing up springfield and he has to fight homer kong from treehouse of horror and Momthra, which is like a giant marge with lots of legs and giant butterfly wings. It's great. Yeah, there's um, Dino Bart, Baby Bart, Pig Bart, Mount Splashmore, and Doomsday Bart, as well as Class Picture, yeah. Right. The um, Is Class Picture, I think you're throwing tomatoes or something, maybe? Something like that, yeah. yeah it's been, it's been so a while. But it, but, uh, in Virtual Bart, I think it was better as far as uh, it was kind of a, a Wheel of Fortune kind of thing that you selected your level. But in Bart's Nightmare, it became really weird in that you're walking around a dream version of Springfield and uh, trying to avoid to get hit by a million things. And if you happen to bump into a piece of paper, that takes you to the next uh, random level, I guess. So... Um, Oh, another one I want to talk about, because yep. this is one of the Simpsons games that, that I will argue is truly a good game. Mm. Uh, the arcade game you know, being, being another one, uh, despite being a quarter-gobbling monster. So it came out on the Super Nintendo, uh, and I think it was a DOS, and, and versions of it came out for the Game Gear, uh, Game Boy, uh, DOS. That's Krusty's Funhouse, which uh. is a Krusty the Clown game, but I love that even the cover says, featuring the Simpsons. Uh, uh. Uh, and it is pretty much just a ripoff of Lemmings. Like, Krusty yeah. has, like, a TV studio and a mansion, and they're overrun by cartoon rats based on uh, Itchy. And your your goal is to use different gadgets and different Simpsons characters to direct the rats to a machine where they get exterminated. But unlike Lemmings, is because Lemmings, they just go into an exit and escape. Mm. In Krusty's Funhouse, they go into a machine, and each machine a different... Simpsons supporting cast member comes out and kills the rats in a different fashion. Ah! Blown up, crushed, shredded, hit with giant hammers until they're pulp. Like it, it, it captures some of that energy of, of, of itchy and scratchy without being as, as bloody as the TV yeah, show could get. But still pretty unnecessarily violent, which I love. Yeah, and also speaking of like uh, a strange color choices on the cover, Bart is wearing a green T-shirt. Interesting. Yeah, see? I I always, um, I had heard on the audio commentaries that in the early seasons that all the weird miscolored stuff was just because, like, the Korean animators didn't know, like, what pizza was, so that like, it would come back with, like, pink pizza or stuff like that. Hmm. Um, so I always chalked it up to maybe one of those things. But uh, I never played this one, but it does look fun. And I did love Lemmings growing up. That was a game that was a lot of fun and weirdly violent, which made well, it kind speaking of, awesome. of the, Speaking of the color palette... Yes, sometimes they would get weird thing like weird colored food back from Korea because it wasn't a food that they necessarily had a lot of access to. Again, mm -hmm. like pizza, because pizza hadn't achieved global saturation at the time. Yeah. But part of that was also intentional. Uh, like the reason the Simpsons have that neon yellow skin and why in the first like two or three seasons trees are purple instead of mm -hmm. like brown. Um, is because he wanted it to look like nothing else on television. So if you flip through channels and saw the weirdest color palette you'd ever seen, you would yeah. be compelled to watch it to see what the hell this weird color palette is. Yeah, which makes total sense. 
Right. Um, one of the later Simpsons games I think is pretty solid is the Simpsons Hit and Run. Yeah. It's a bit oh, like yeah. a, a Grand Theft Auto kind of thing going on. Um, well, it's Grand although, Theft Auto and like Crazy Taxi. Crazy all Taxi. Yeah. That that. And you could tell that the developers like knew the show because you'd see like you know like billboards for like Mr. Burns and like Krusty mm-hmm. and stuff, and they were like jokes that referenced the show and everything. And these were actually pretty fun. I remember. Well, it's yeah, probably you're... the it's probably the first game that truly captured the humor of the show. Yeah, I think definitely. you had writers of the show, uh, or at least a few of them, like help with the writing on this, which um, is certainly helped. And uh, everyone was doing the voices, which was good. I mean, I recall we mentioned that Simpsons arcade game. The voice of uh, Burns and Smithers like is nothing like what you expect, and that's because Harry Shearer wouldn't do a voice for that video game. Mm. And yeah, there's uh isn't there's a reference to Bone Storm too, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Good old Bone Storm. And you, can um, take, uh, you can take the Stonecutter's secret shortcut, I remember in one level. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was like, that's that's cool. They're actually like they actually this is like conducive to the show, you know. So so a one game that I always wanted to get and could never track down was the Simpsons Cartoon Studio. And this was actually very common at the time. There were a lot of, like, programs where it was just a bunch of sort of, like, stock assets that you could use to make your own cartoons. There was a... When the 90s Spider-Man animated series came out, my grandparents had that had their animation suite just pre-installed. And I remember at family dinners, I would make these like short little Spider-Man cartoons <laughs> and record <laughs> my voice into them and everything. I wanted to do that with the Simpsons so bad, but I could never find a copy of this in 96 when it was out. I would love to, I would even today, I would love to play around with it. Those could be really fun. If you were a frustrated, creative kid. Yeah. Right. And, yeah, um, go on. Oh, uh, no, I was, I was, uh, you go first, you go. Uh, I do remember, I haven't thought about this in years, it's not quite a game, but they had a Simpsons screensaver when that was a popular thing, and, and one of the screensavers was your uh, desktop looked like a, a yard, and Homer was uh, mowing it, and you could, there's a slider for butt cleavage, so if you wanted to <laughs> see more of his crack, you could, um, and it just had all kinds of silly things, I thought it kind of captured the the show pretty well in an era when almost, I mean, they literally, they were charging like, you know, $30, $40 for screensavers back then, which seems pretty strange now, but in retrospect, it was very popular uh, at the time. So one that is a fascinating case is the Simpsons game, which came out in 2007. So this, this was in, this was like around the same time as like the Ghostbusters game and the Godfather game where like they were adapting properties into games, but were having like some of the original creators of the properties have input. And the big deal with the Simpsons games is the story and the dialogue was written by the Simpsons production team. Uh, and so it's it, it's a fascinating case. Like like every every like everyone I know who played it told me, and I just didn't have time for video games at the time. Uh, despite that, so I didn't really get a chance to play it. But they all told me the same thing. It is one of the funniest video games I've ever played. It is one of the funniest things the Simpsons have ever done. The gameplay is just okay. Right. Yeah. It, this right. came out, you know, the same year as the movie did, so it was kind of a tie into that. Even though it's the plot's not the same as the movie. And I, I like the conceit. You know, you have cell-shaded graphics. Um, 
some of the Simpsons just happen to have like superpowers and stuff. So you'd have Bartman in there. There is a level that's like a video game studio and you see people that look like Ryu from Street Fighter and the football people from Madden and uh there's also, as I recall, uh, like a cameo from Bender from Futurama. <laughs> yeah, well, Matt Groening comes and uh, apologizes for all the bad Simpsons video games and you know, all the <laughs> licensing of. He licensed, you know, pretty much any Simpsons product. But yeah, you fight Zoidberg and Bender, and uh, um, I mean, you eventually play Dance Dance Revolution against God himself. God being voiced by Harry Shearer. So excellent. There's. Like, as far as a 3D platformer goes, you know, this had good material, but it the, the levels just seemed like bad uh, hitboxes and, and all these things. Um, you get hit really easily. It's, it's kind of cheap at times. The camera is not the best. I just wish the game, yeah, the gameplay would have had the ambition that, like, the story did. And it has about, like, 30 minutes of original animation that look really good. Hmm. That they did just for the game, so that's pretty unusual. Yeah, I mean, you get a little more than a full episode's worth of content if you take all that that media stuff. Yeah, right. And, and what's fascinating, though, is that after that, it's just Simpsons mobile games, four Simpsons mobile games, Minute to Meltdown, Itchy and Scratchy Land, a re-release of Simpsons Arcade, which is which is cool, and Tapped Out. And Tapped Out, that came out in 2012. It's still going. It's still going strong, but, like... I am shocked that there hasn't been another Simpsons game after Tapped Out. I mean, Tapped Out has made him so much money. It's one of those games where initially you can build stuff fine, but then later it takes hours to build things unless you put in real money. Oh. You know, it's kind of like a SimCity thing that you're tapping on the screen to get coins. But it has, like, funny jokes in there as a thing, too, and some voices from the show. Yeah, unlike all those other games, like, it actually has its own original content. And some of it is quite funny. Uh, my wife my wife used to play it, and, and that was just kind of a fun thing to watch her play it and see, oh, yeah, that's from that episode. That's from that episode. Oh, wait, those buildings are next to each other now, and there's a little joke based on that that, <laughs> that you never would have gotten otherwise. I really like that. Uh, any of these other games uh, jump out to you, Alex? Or, um, I not so much. The skateboarding one looks interesting. I'm sure they probably just took the Tony Hawk uh, layout and just ran with it, which is, which I'm sure uh, gives you some fun uh, gameplay. But I'll say out of the bunch, so the Road Rage and Hit and Run, or I guess, are would probably be my two favorites because. It was like the first time you felt like you were closely interacting with like something that resembled the show, and the actual gameplay was fun too as well. So, so um, yeah. something that I, I I have always wanted to play, but I've never found it. In two thousand, Konami released a second Simpsons arcade game. They released a Simpsons bowling game. I would really love to to play that. Yeah, yes, bowling is another genre you don't see that much. Um, they did a, a Simpsons wrestling for PlayStation One, and that was just okay. Uh, they did they did one for PS2 called Road Rage, which was more of a direct, uh, just just a straight up crazy taxi game. It didn't really have the missions and the story of hit and run, but it was uh, kind of similar. Um, one I always wanted to play, my computer could not run it at the time, was Virtual Springfield from 1997. Oh yeah, where it was just from a first person perspective, and you could just walk around Springfield, and they recorded a ton of original dialogue and. I think they have some mini games there, but I don't think it's, I mean, there is a goal of collecting cards, uh, playing cards, you know, based on the characters, but it's more just kind of an exploratory thing. With, well, um, I remember when, when 
a few years after this came out, I, it was a, there was an interview. I don't, you know what? I don't remember if this was an interview or a review or someone from The Simpsons talking, but we're like when the when Virtual Springfield began development, there was an attempt made to make the geography of Springfield make sense, but then they realized, no, no, it's funnier if we treat the geography just like the show. We will mm. come up with the funniest possible arrangement for these buildings, and that will be the geography. But this was part of a real like phenomenon at the time. There were these these CD-ROMs that sort of let you inhabit a fictional environment. There's one I had, which was like the Star Trek technical or the Enterprise technical yeah, manual. Right. And it was literally, it was a 3D virtual enterprise exact in every detail that you could walk around in. But then Jonathan Frakes as William Riker would give you technical information on every single area of the ship. I do think that... Um... I'm sure this compilation probably exists, but a compilation of like video games spoofed in The Simpsons or like movie tie-in video games, like the Waterworld video game that costs like $30 or uh, uh, My Dinner with Andre. Mm. Well, that was something I was going to ask you all is, is there a fake video game in The Simpsons that you wish was real? Hmm. Well, Bonestorm's basically Mortal Kombat. Um, the Dingo uh, Crash Bandicoot knockoff is pretty hilarious. Um, I think I just I love that we live in a world that there's like in the Simpsons world, there's actually a video game adaptation of Louis Mao's My Dinner with Andre. I think that's just freaking <laughs> awesome. Or and gender course, neutral pack person. Yeah. And of course, Martin Prince loves it. Well, right, you know, but... I'm, I'm torn because I think I think Bone Storm would be great, especially if you had some of the Simpsons people behind it and you really made it like a satire of 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 fighting games. And give it some stupid mini games where, like, they're doing, like, now I must clean my room. Like, do some dumb time-building fetch quest type right. chore. But the more – and people – Lee Carvalho's putting challenge, that, I believe, was made as as a fake game that you could actually play online. Uh, yeah, fairly recently. Um but I think the one I, I and like Sim Sandwich, I want to know what Sim Sandwich was. It's only <laughs> referenced. But yeah. I think what I want is I want to play Escape from Death Row. I want Escape from Death Row yes. and Larry the Looter to be like a two-pack game. Where you can get uh, commuted to Texas. <laughs> yeah, hit the change of venue button. Oh, yeah. no, Texas. I mean, I that do, would be uh, a good idea for a Simpsons game, just collecting video games referenced in the show and kind of doing you know kind of like a retro game collection um, based on those and yeah, bart can get trapped in those video games and we could call it virtual bart there you go i think hockey dad though is probably the one i want most where it's like no <laughs> stop it's just assault don't turn it into murder <laughs> it's like congratulations you're a big man <laughs> one simpsons game i wouldn't mind playing although it got terrible reviews just because the premise is so lame is bart and the beanstalk Oh, God. It's <laughs> yeah. for the Game Boy. And, uh, you know, Bart Simpson uh, plays the, the guy going up to the giant. And the giant, of course, is Homer Simpson. So it, it's like, why that concept of all the things you could do for the Simpsons? It was probably an easy sell. They were like, oh, yeah. it's a kid's game. Sure. Cross it over with a fairy tale. Yeah. Right. They just um, had a Jack and the Beanstalk game. And again, they just like, you know, transplant the Simpsons on there. They did a few itchy and scratchy games, I remember, but I don't think they played that well. The The Game Boy one, I think, was a bit better. It was like a mini-golf theme, 
but the one for uh, Super Nintendo and Genesis, like you were trying, like the sprites were so big, you couldn't move that big on this. You couldn't move that much on the screen. And it was just kind of annoying to control. Um, just a platformer, really. So, yeah, I mean, we, we've covered all these different, uh, quite a lot of these Simpsons games. And you don't see that many uh, licensed games based on movies or TV shows that much anymore. You might see... Uh, in Fortnite or something, oh, there's a limited edition skin of, uh, I don't know, Iron Man. You, you could wear uh, Harley Quinn's hat and Wolverine's yeah, claw. Yeah, right. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I still think of Fortnite is just two weeks, but... Um... <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm out of touch. I'm old. It looks like they also did a Game Boy Color game that was based off Treehouse of Horror, which is interesting. I wouldn't mind playing that one. See, Game Boy Color was kind of hilarious because it was exactly as it was advertised. It was just Game Boy Color. It's all the yeah, same. Yeah, it wasn't that many colors. <laughs> so here, here's something I've got to ask: If you could make a Simpsons game, what would it be? Yeah, this is a good note to end on. I'm glad you thought of that, Thrasher. Um, let me start. I would. There's been so much in The Simpsons over the years. I think I might try to adapt, like, favorite Simpsons episodes into different levels of a game huh. and and make kind of the conceit. Uh, maybe Lisa is in the library trying to put together a book, uh, uh, like a oh, collage cool. or something of favorite family memories. And then each time she comes across something it kind of opens up another level. Um, oh, like you're going through a photo album? And yeah, yeah, like a, she's kind of making a photo album. She's like, oh, I remember that. And maybe like you're, you're Homer uh, trying to do the jump, but you miss it, and you're trying to avoid hitting as much as a cliff as possible on the way down. Oh, God, yeah, just having a whole level where it's just Homer falling down the canyon, and you have to <laughs> not have him die on the way down. <laughs> that would be great. Um. Alex, I've got a couple of ideas, and I think I'm going to smush them together. Oh. I think the Simpsons movie would adapt perfectly into a video game. You could have like, you know, Bart skateboarding as like one level, or you could play as different characters. You could have like Lisa's narrative, Bart's narrative, Homer's narrative. You know, hey, uh, so you when you like first said that, I thought, oh yeah, do it in the style of a Sierra or Lucas Arts adventure game, mm -hmm. but apparently not. Right. Which is basically that, um, you know, you have the motorcycle finale, um, you know, going to Alaska, you can have some weird Alaska shit, returning to Springfield, there's a cool level. Um, but in between, I think this would be cool, is that in between levels as bonus rounds or whatever, you have uh, like Guitar Hero-esque um, music rounds where you're jamming with Lisa and say like Bleeding Gums or something, but you're playing famous Simpsons songs from the series. Like Quickie Mart, um, you know, Monorail Song, See My Vest, exactly. In fact, I think that would be like a fun tie-in to the show because there's a lot of fun musical numbers. I mean, there's so many classic musical numbers where you would uh, integrate that into it as well. Yeah, I think I, I, I sort of have two. One would straight up be a sort of Sierra slash LucasArts adventure game where you could switch between all five of the family members. Uh, and it, it would be kind of like day, day of the tentacle in that way, where you could switch through different protagonists in different parts of Springfield and like having them do like 
and like you could even set things up like if you have homer at the bar and then you have bart simpson prank call moe's tavern while homer's there it can set off a chain reaction you could use maggie have maggie sneak into hard to fit places and just and get really get really fun with it and uh then the other version i would love to do like Imagine a, a parody of Assassin's Creed set in Springfield, only you're oh, Bart wow. Simpson as Bartman, and instead of killing people, you're, like, doing pranks and things. Yeah, yeah. I, I can and, see that. Sure. And as it comes out, like, you find, like, a conspiracy probably involving Mr. Burns, uh, and, like, you, and, you know, you want to, or Sideshow Bob, now that I think about it, and you're trying to save Krusty and do all this stuff, and the further you play in the game, the more other video game parodies are, like, brought in. Like, one of the subplots is Homer gets fired from the nuclear power plant. When you finally go to the nuclear power plant, you find out the entire staff had been replaced by effectively the big, the big daddies from, uh, from, uh, from Bioshock, and then that part of the game is a Bioshock parody. But then you go into another part of the game, and it's kind of a parody of Mass Effect, and you get those Mass Effect style dialogue trees. But it's all like Bart Simpson catchphrases, like "Don't have a cow and eat my shorts," that shapes the dialogue. Yeah, I think that could be a lot of promise, especially the systems now. The graphics are so good, you could really look into a vista, right, of Springfield and see far in the distance. Of, uh, of places you could go to. And uh, yeah, I think we've done a pretty good job kind of doing quick hits on the Simpsons video games. And Oh, uh, oh one other thing. Also, yeah. when you interact with certain other Simpsons characters, you find out they're living through their own video game parody. <laughs> to the point where like comic book guy is like running down the street, get, like eating a whole line of cookies and there's like ghosts he's trying to beat up. Hmm. Or like a, I think like a fighting game where you play as different characters from The Simpsons, but your well, adversaries shows that, or you do, but you do it where you play as a different characters from The Simpsons, but your adversaries are different characters from other shows that try to rip off The Simpsons. So you have to like fight with like <laughs> dinosaurs. You have to fight with the cast of Family Guy and American Dad. <laughs> stressed Eric. Yeah, stressed Eric. You Wait know. till your father gets home just for some yep. retro appeal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. So, yeah, I think, you know, um, these games are definitely worth uh, seeking out and playing if you can, although I think they're all probably out of print by now. Um, but uh, especially Virtual Springfield, I might try and see if I can somehow get a copy of that running through an emulator yeah. or something. Because that, that one, they really put a lot of time into the voices. And even though there's just like, I don't think it's even two dozen locations, like, there seemed to be a lot of dialogue and thing they recorded for that. Like it, it got unusually positive reviews for the time. Um, so no, yeah, for video game sequel cast, uh, this is Matt. Follow me on Twitter at MATWBT and download episodes of the show at sequelcast2.com. Uh, this is Thrasher. My social media is still in flux, uh, but you know you can check out uh, my stuff on uh, drivethroughrpg.com, particularly the 100 Oddities series from Skirmisher Publishing. Um, our, oh, and our theme song is is uh, written and performed by Mark with a C. Check out his music at markwithac.com. And Alex. I can find me on the old Twitter at CrabNebula1914 and drop by the uh, YouTube channel, the Trailer Project, not trailers as in those things you hitch to your car, but those 
things that advertise lovely, lovely movies. Um, not only are there trailer commentaries, but there's also some experimental stuff as well as a video series in the beginning where I rummage through my movie collection, find a certain chunk of titles of interest, and talk about them. I have to ask, because I think you... Uh... Maybe you do this too, Thrasher. I don't do this anymore just to save on space. But do you have all your movies like on on different shelves? Uh, I yeah, uh, I, I I got like I've kind of got my movies in three places based around how likely I am to watch them. Okay, so that's how it's organized then by how much you like them. I, I was gonna say, Alex, for your collection, which I think is safe to say is probably bigger than both of ours combined. Um, do you have it by genre? Do you have it alphabetical? Uh, I got it my weirdo organization system is um by label and genre just because like when a criterion sales happen i know like that bundle of movies when i get them mm. uh, or like so like twilight times of the twilight time arrow is the arrow because i know who releases what because i'm kind of a nut job about boutique blu-ray labels and what they release um so it's easier for me to find stuff like that um other more non um uh, interesting labels like more like new release stuff is ten is usually by genre or director like all my Ridley Scott stuff so my Ridley Scott stuff um, it's mad but it, it, it makes sense to, to us so it works mm-hmm.